0: This is the Running
1: Publix Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday.
0: Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I hit it. I like to announce when the red record button is on, Bracken. Have you noticed that? Yeah, yeah. It helps us censor ourselves. It does. It helps us put us back into line and pull it together for a recording. And I actually want to start this with a confession, Bracken. Now, I'm coming in, in blind to this, so. Yeah, people, I have a confession, people, and I feel like I need to get it off of my chest. I have not worked out in 11 days, Bracken. Any workout. Zero workout in 11 days. That's a confession. You are one of the people that I know in this world that
1: are happiest when working out.
0: Yeah. Have I seemed, Have I seemed crabby to you? distant. Oh, really? We're, we're drifting apart, Bracken. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I had, um, you know, two things. One, I had gotten sick. I started antibiotics like three days ago and I'm starting to feel like a person again. I was out for the count. So that's the most, mostly the reason. Okay. But in the back of my head, I brought this up a couple times where um, we had Jess uh, O'Connell on and she talked about putting too much energy into workouts and not enough into healing. And so I'm kind of running with that philosophy. So for the next month, Bracken, I said, till November 1st, I'm going to be a somewhat lazy POS. I'll work out a little bit, but I'm going to back off, man. I am just going to reset. Mr. Robert Killian, you know, twice now in the career I've known him, has taken one to three months off of nothing because he's been completely fried. And so I think I'm just going to reset and just have a long, long, sad road back to fitness come November 1st. What do you think about that? I think that's, Not going to hurt you long term. You know, I didn't catch up on this thread, but you and Ryan Kempson were chatting this morning. And what was that thread about? It was about recovering from injury. It was. All right. I just
1: glanced. Yeah, we were chatting about injury recovery. He asked how the knee was doing, if it's progressing according to plan. And I asked him about his shoulder because he'd had his separation. And then I told him, which I haven't even told you, I don't think. I didn't tell anyone about my shoulder separation. Recently? In between the two surgeries. I was embarrassed about how it happened. And so I didn't tell anyone about my shoulder injuries. So I didn't lift upper body for three months because I couldn't. What'd you do? I partially separated my shoulder and I damaged some some soft tissue in there.
0: What did you do to partially separate your shoulder and damage tissue in there?
1: I got blocked violently by the rim on a dunk attempt. <laughs> you got you got rejected. By the rim. <laughs> By the rim. This was back, It was in between the two surgeries when I started getting my legs back underneath me from the first surgery. But I still had my strong leg not totally torn up yet. And I could jump off of that one. And I hadn't dunked yet in 2020. And one of my athletic feats, as many of our listeners know, it's not a feat. But it's one of my personal challenges is I want to break five in a mile and dunk a basketball for as many consecutive years as possible late into life. I started at 17 and you're still going strong and I haven't missed a year since 17, 15 years. How many is it? Does it been now? I'm 33 now. So six, 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 whatever, 17 years, 16 years. 16 years. So, but I hadn't dumped yet this year and I wanted to get one down. I, I knew there was a potential second surgery looming. I thought who knows what happens? What if they find out it's ACL or PCL? I, I could lose my year and I'm more confident that I could in three weeks of training, like on December 10th, get into fitness and break five in a mile, then I could get strength and explosion back and dunk. So I I saw Mm an opportunity and I got one down. I scraped one over the front of the rim (laughs) and I went for one more. Always that one more. I tried to cock it back and bring it home hard. And I just drove it right into the front of the rim and it just jarred my shoulder hard. And I was going off a leg I don't usually go off of. So my mechanics were weird and I was unprepared and it rocked me. Push-ups, overhead press, bench press, even front rack squat position. I couldn't do any of those things. I couldn't do pull-ups for three months. See, we still make stupid mistakes, people. I didn't even tell you about it. I was I was embarrassed about how I did it. I mean, we pillow talk. Can't you tell me then? Uh, there are probably... F- four people in the world that knew about it.
0: Okay. And they so, all lived
1: in my house or the house next door to me.
0: Lisa, your sister, and your parents.
1: Uh my sister doesn't know.
0: <laughs> the basketball sister. Me
1: Lisa, know. my my dad and
0: partially my mom. Man. She's not totally aware. So it must have been a really epic, epic fail at a dunk there. It was. I can't even touch the rim, Bracken, so you're way ahead of me. Oh, well, see, then you don't get to hurt yourself doing it. <laughs> that's true, but I have gotten a finger or two snagged on the neck, and that's almost ripped the shoulder off. On
1: I me. dislocated a finger doing that. There you go. Well, to this day, I tore a tendon in there. To this day, this digit here, I can push down, but I can't control that because those tendons are not.
0: Yeah, your ring finger is spring-loaded. When you push that down, that thing just bounces right back.
1: Yep, but I can't put it down myself. So, yeah, I, apparently basketball is bad for me. Two torn meniscuses,
0: dislocated finger, separated shoulder. That's your past life. You're moving on to your next one. And I think um, I think point being here is I just wanted to confess to the good people of the running public and to you, Bracken. See, I'm not a coward. I'm not afraid to. not a coward. I'm prideful. And prideful. And uh, it's okay to take a rest once in a while, folks. Like, I plan to be re- ready to go next year. And if your foot's not to the flame right now, so be it. Just make sure you have a plan for when you get back to it, which I do. Um, and then I just conveniently, as, it, as I was making this decision these last couple of days, and I read our little Instagram or our um, Facebook Messenger chat, and I saw Ryan had messaged us. I haven't read it fully yet. And it, you know, hinted that the U.S. National Series would be later. That's not fact. However, just solidifies the decision that uh, lazy POS for the next month is my agenda, Bracken. You're going to come out of it healthier, and you're going to make up your fitness. I know. And here we're going to get fitness advice to all the good people. And what
1: do we know about you as an athlete with your fitness?
0: You build fitness quickly. I do, and I've never taken an extended break, and I'm the least lazy person I know, and this is really uncomfortable for me, but I'm going to try to just uh, do it right. Keep it, do it right. Do it tight or whatever you said last episode. Get it right. Get it tight. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh, so why don't we segue then into... I liked what you wanted to chat about today. Bracken came up with today's idea. I feel like this is your brainchild,
1: and I liked it. This weekend was the London Marathon, and it was significant for several reasons. One, it was one of the first big road races that held a full elite field, and the big name showed up. There have been a few races, but not everyone can travel. Not everyone goes everyone showed up to this except for one so a little background Eliud kipchoge who we talk about a lot on here because he is the epitome of the professional runner Mm -hmm. he is the greatest marathoner of all time and kenanisa Bekele is arguably the greatest runner distance runner of all time he up until two weeks ago or three weeks ago held the 5k world record for a decade and he still has the 10K world record. And he has the second fastest marathon by three seconds of all time. And these two were going to meet for the first time in a while in a marathon and throw down in London. And London's a fast course. And then they changed it to laps around the park in London because they couldn't mm. do uh, a suitable COVID plan
0: throughout the whole city. And that would uh, suit Eliud considering he just got done running laps. For right. What we want to bring up is coming off his... Non-official world record marathon of 159. What do you run? 20, 40, something like that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sub two hours in a marathon, which no human has come within two minutes of. Mm-hmm. So other than Kenanisa Bekele, he was a minute 50 something off or whatever it was. doesn't matter. Anyways, the two Titans were going to clash. Everyone was pumped for it. And three days before, Bekele pulls out with lower leg issue. So now it's a formality. Eliud Kipchoge has not lost a race in seven years. He lost his first marathon. He took second to the man who set the world record in that race. And since then, he went unchallenged. He has run under two hours. He has set and currently holds the marathon world record. He has like eight world titles or something like that. And an Olympic gold medal in the marathon since this streak started. Wow.
0: And why don't we talk about his marathon time? Non his non-Nike marathon time is what, 201. 201 201 and change. And the other gentleman, the other gentleman who he had went head to head with this weekend's PR was 201 and change, wasn't it? Yep. Three seconds lower. Just off the world record. Yeah. And that man didn't show up. Right. Why don't you tell the people what happened? He took eighth. Eighth place. Eighth place. Now
1: Everyone had already crowned him the champion Mm -hmm. and he took eighth place. And I thought that this was the perfect real life example of what I want to talk about today, which is that we put people in the position that they're going to finish before the race even starts many times. All the time. All the time. We get used to results and we expect the results. And this is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a good thing when you expect good things from yourself because you've done good things before. It's a bad thing when you pigeonhole yourself into a role and do not allow yourself to expect greater because you've never
0: had greater before. Well, we chatted on the phone before this, talking about what we were gonna do our episode on today and you outlined it really nicely. So why don't you talk about who won and his story there first, to give the people an example. So the guy who won did not win this last year. He was beaten
1: by after the race by Eliud Kipchoge. Correct, yep. Along with the rest of the world was beaten by Eliud. And he made a comment afterwards that I have been beaten today, but I will win this next year. And people brushed it aside and it got lost over the course of the crazy last year because people all the time make crazy comments in the heat of battle or or competition. Mm Mm-hmm. But this guy didn't brush it aside. Everyone else on planet Earth handed Eliud the keys to every victory he ever wants to run from here until he retires. Except for this young man. And this young man spent a year perseverating on this last loss. And training not only with the goal but the expectation that no matter who shows up. They are mortal. And they are beatable. And I am going to beat them. And the weather was rainy-ish and cold and windy. It's tough to travel smoothly right now. The other stud didn't show up. And the, the, the pace, I don't believe they're pacemakers, so the pace didn't go out as hot. People thought Eliud will never let the pace lag because he's two minutes faster than everyone here. So all he has to do is run hard. And suddenly everyone's together at the 10-mile mark and the 13-mile mark and the 20-mile mark. and with, At 24 miles or 22 miles, whatever it was, there were still six or eight people together and a move was made. And the pace went from 4.55 or 4.56 down to 4.46 per mile. Mm -hmm. And Eliud got dropped.
0: And who could have predicted
1: that? He averaged 4.38 per mile, I believe. Is that right? 4.38 per mile to break two hours in a marathon. And he
0: couldn't hold 4.46.
1: Yeah. And the pace going from 4.55 to 4.46 dropped him. None of it made sense on paper. But there was one man in that group who didn't care about what was on paper He was good there to beat him, and he did, and he won. So -hmm. not only did seven people beat him, but the one person who expected to take advantage of something when it happened
0: did, and he won. You're starting to get me a little pumped up already, Brack, and I don't even know why. I'm inspired. We coronate people before the race even starts. I think this was our interview with Hunter McIntyre. I believe it was Hunter, but I could be having my – it was Hunter. Yes. Where he had said, like, it's very easy – you to go and race. And he was, I think, referring to guys like you and me when he had this conversation. And he said, you end up running and you end up taking fifth through 10th. And suddenly you label yourself as a fifth through 10th US national series athlete. And that's where you're going to go and run because the expectation of the people in front of you is that they always will be there and you will always be your role. So you comfortably settle in staring at their backs, the top five, and you kind of watch them slowly drift away because you believe your place is in fifth to 10th and that really resonated with me because as much as i want to say i'm a tough son of a gun and you're stubborn as heck i think there is a subconscious there i think there is a mm-hmm. psyche sometimes there that you don't a narrative that you don't even mean to create and i think i'm guilty of that i think you're probably guilty of that questioning if you're i have lived in
1: it the last several years
0: correct and so hearing you talk about this this morning got me fired up for that reason alone and i felt like it was relatable to me i feel like it circled back to what hunter said and i feel like it's very relatable to a lot of people listening because you've always you've never podiumed in your in your age group or in an elite wave so you sit there in fifth place comfortably and you stare at the podium from behind and you never climb on top yeah but really could you the race isn't one You're right. And I just think it's a great thing to outline today, but it's a point that I think needs to be talked about. It needs to be. And how many times throughout history
1: have we seen an athlete come on the stage out of nowhere and never leave? There was no sign that they were about to arrive. There was no indication that they even belong there. But as soon as they got there, they now believed it and they never
0: left. Think of our sport alone. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, if we're just talking OCR, Robert Killian comes in back in 2015, out of nowhere, put his place on the map in a sport he did not know, and stayed there. You go and you look further ahead to this season, or even Ryan Atkins before that comes in, goes to Killington, same with John Albin, marks their territory, and stays there. Johnny Luna Lima Mm -hmm. had not had a breakout year. In fact, I think his best finish was 11th or 10th at Spartan World's. He had not made a podium in a race, I believe in like two years, any race, any race. He went to Euro Worlds and I think took third and they kicked him off because he wasn't a European. Mm-hmm. And he goes from no podiums to winning Big Bear and then wins Utah the next race.
1: National Series races back to back
0: because he got one and he knew this is me. And what happens once you break through, Bracken? You're, that's your role now. That's where you stay there. That's where, exactly. I love it. Is there anybody else in the sport that you can think of? I think You've been almost, around longer than I have. I think almost everyone does that.
1: I I even look at Hunter. Hunter has no right running the way he runs in races, but he doesn't expect anything else. So in the world on the world stage, you see that the Olympics all the time too. There are P, uh, world championships and the Olympics. There are people who show up and make a world championship podium. They medal. They go top three, and they don't do much throughout the – in between weeks and months, and then they get back to a world championships and they squeak through the rounds and they wind up on the podium again. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are dozens of athletes in every country who are faster. They have better PRs. They have better results throughout the year. They have better natural talent, but when it comes down to the championship race, They're always the one falling off the pack at the significant turning point in the race and the gamers, the people who just know that, yeah, I'm, I'm here to win a medal. They win a medal. Mm. You Mm. rarely have upsets in middle and long distance running at championship events. And if you do, it's one, not all three, because the people who are supposed to be there believe they're supposed to be there and they stay there. And if there is an
0: upset, that person becomes the new thing. And if you look on paper, for example, and let's just look at the few races we've had either in 2020 or the last ones in 2019. If we're talking about a foot race or we're talking about who has all the tools on paper, Mm -hmm. you would put a number of guys in front of the world championship podium, in front of US national series podium, other than the people uh, that are on it. We go back to Ryan Atkins a lot. We always will. But what is he the 10th fastest guy in the field? Mm -hmm. Maybe 15th? I mean, raw speed, 5K-type stuff, maybe 10th, yet he wins the U.S. National Series handily. Yeah. Where, is that, where does that come from? Is that a mindset? Is that he belongs? Is that the fight-or-die mentality? Or is he the fastest runner? Well, he's not, so what is it?
1: Yeah, and, and it's all mindset. Yep. And there is this false perception. We all fall into this this error we look at people who have done things in the past and we think that that is them now. But we don't apply it to ourselves. We don't look at, well, they took this path to get there. I'm going to as well. We just go, well, Atkins is going to be there. So that's one podium spot gone. Mm
0: -hmm. Rather
1: than he has to go through the same between the ears game that I do during every race. He has to have a healthy body at every race. Elliot Kipchoge has to be healthy and on point. And what happens when he wasn't? It didn't mm-hmm. happen often, but when it was, you had to be ready to capitalize. And we assume that because they've done it, they're just going to handle their business. Mm-hmm. But they're not machines. No one's a machine. As machine like as anyone is, no one is truly
0: a machine. And everybody is ripe for the picking. You know what? One of my favorite moments so far in my OCR career is watching Alyssa Hawley win the Seattle National Series race in 2017 when she wasn't even on the radar. And she showed up. She clearly decided that people can be beat. It's nobody's role to win. And she can jump on it. And things happen. Lindsay did fall off of the twister, I believe, when it was first, ish, you know, first out there. But like, that's the point, especially with our sport, that anything can happen. How many times do you see athletes just shut her down just shut her down. Have you been guilty of it at times? Yeah. There's been times where it's happened to me. Something doesn't quite go right. I can't tell you in all of my best finishes, they've been made up by taking advantage of other people's mistakes and staying in the fight, even if things weren't going perfect. And, and I, just think that, I just think that people lose sight of that. And I think a lot of people right now are starting to look into the next year already, figure out who they are and their place is going to be. And I don't know about you, Bracken, but I'm having a lot of conversations about goals right now. It seems like I want to, I want to get on the podium, or I want to move from age group to a leader. See, people seem to really be reevaluating all that stuff and starting to think about next year. Well, okay, so you're a top ten age grouper. Your goal is to be on the podium. Could it be? Could it be bigger than that? Could it be to win? Could it be? I just, I just think it's a relevant topic to have uh, the conversation right now, based on even that alone. It is. And if we look historically in sports, just about the time
1: someone looks unbeatable, the guard changes Mm -hmm. in our specific sport of obstacle racing. Hobie call went through and wiped the floor with everyone throughout an entire national series and did not win worlds that year. Ryan Atkins practically swept a new U S national series, destroyed everyone in it and did not win worlds that year. Mm -hmm. John Elbin didn't lose a race for years and couldn't win Tahoe in other sports you know lebron james went to 6 straight nba finals didn't make the next final
0: mm-hmm. you know the
1: warriors looked unbeatable up 3-1 in the finals suddenly they lost 3 straight games and lost the finals the patriots were untouchable unbeatable suddenly they don't even have their quarterback anymore just about the time that people look like they nothing can possibly remove them someone removes them and then everyone goes oh shoot that could have been me but Uh I wasn't even expecting that it was a possibility. Everyone who's on a a pedestal should not be
0: there unless you're putting them there for target practice. There is no such thing as a pedestal in sports. And once you are on that pedestal, if there is one with them, you realize everybody's human and you realize everybody can be beaten. And metrics don't even really matter because the intangibles of heart and guts in between your ear and keeping your foot to the flame when it counts is so invaluable in our sport i would say in ocr trail running and even road running like the marathon if you look at workouts on paper i guarantee Eliud kipchoge was the clear favorite as well and he had earned that right but he didn't bring it and put it together on that day if you look at our sport if it's purely strength based who can squat and deadlift and bench press the most well it's hunter mcintyre who can run the fastest maybe it's mark bottris but like those metrics don't even matter people throw The age of social media and Strava and data allows you to place yourself in a position before the race even starts because stuff is thrown at us constantly. We can compare ourselves constantly and it should all be gone out the window. It really should. It should.
1: And this applies not just to trying to win a race. The same thing happens with your own personal goals as an athlete. Whether it's trying to set a PR in a lift, in a run, in a race, try to attain a new position. We get stuck limiting ourselves to the times that we perceive to be possible for us. It, it's it's overly cliche by now about how it took so long for the four minute mile to be broke and it was impossible, and then the next year, six times it happened or eight or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now it's happened thousands of times since then, and now we've had seventeen high schoolers do it. You know, Has it's, it been seventeen it, high schoolers, it's something like that. Jeez, another guy just did it a couple of weeks ago. Man. And it didn't even make national news. That's crazy. It made world news. It did in a time trial. That's <laughs> wild, right? Yeah. Whereas thirty years ago, that would have that guy would have been on 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 every talk show in America
0: and the cover of Sports Illustrated. Alan Webb was when he broke the high school record. Granted, yeah. that was a three fifty three and ridiculous, but
1: yeah. But the point being, our limits are oftentimes self imposed. We all have our our ceiling. That we can't get through because that is, your ceiling is comprised of your natural talent and your ability to be in your top fitness and top toughness and believe you can hit your natural talent. If you max out all of those, you reach your ceiling. There are very few people in the history of this planet that have actually truly met their ceiling. We hit whatever self-imposed ceiling is somewhere below that. We have a drop ceiling we've put in. And as everyone knows in the basement, a drop ceiling is awful. It looks nice and smooth and suddenly you take it down and you're like, oh man, I've got an extra nine inches or 13 inches of mm-hmm. workspace here. That's exactly how PRs are. That's how training mm-hmm. is. As soon as you break six minutes in a mile for the first time or five minutes in a mile or 20 minutes in the 5K, you might never run slower than that again in your life. Even if it took you 15 attempts to do it the first time, as soon as it's done, it's over. Your new reality is your new time. The key is to make that your new
0: reality before you actually hit that time. Mm-hmm. You've created a new standard for yourself performance-wise, effort-wise, pain tolerance-wise, grittiness-wise, and that standard then is the new one. Your drop ceiling has risen by three inches, and then it can raise again.
1: There are studies that have tested these things okay. where they do psychology and sports physiology simultaneously where they do things like you'll be on the treadmill and they will flash brief images of a frowny face versus a smiley face and across the board people outperform the frowny faces compared to when they're in the smiley face group they do things where if they put you staring at a blank wall versus staring at an avatar of yourself you the avatar you wins And then if that avatar gets a second one that's supposedly a competitor next to you, you win again. You beat your previous effort. If they show that avatar dropping behind you, the person that you're supposedly competing against on the screen in front of you during a max exertion test. If they show that person starting to slip behind you as you reach your breaking point, you make it percentage points farther in the test than you would without that. Mm -hmm. None of those are actually stimulus. None of those are injectable. None of those are sniffable. None of those are chewable. They're all solely psychological. And yet they're real. They're as real as anything you could inject, sniff, or chew. And so the the, the key is now, how do you take those mindsets and apply them to everything you do
0: so that you get that reward on a daily Mm -hmm. basis? It's a great question. We should dive into that, Bracken. We should. The first is truly believing. I agree it is truly believing you ever have those moments in a race and they are very few and far between but something in your psyche it's like small little moments where you they might even be in your subconscious where you choose to dig it's like a small point where suddenly you're like committed and you don't know how it happened or when it happened but suddenly you're in and it's like it's like finding that feeling in a race without worrying about whatever else is going on around you you always say the guy who hurts the least in the race the winner. Isn't that correct? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because you're the only one actively reaping the
1: benefit of your effort and your pain in that moment.
0: And suddenly, like the mental perceived exertion versus benefit seems exponentially worth it. And suddenly it's not so costly because look what you are doing. And that's what can every breakthrough can look like. Yeah. In that sense.
1: There was a study done where they offered people money Throughout a test where if you can beat your last result by 8%, you get $500.
0: Okay.
1: People couldn't do it because they get to their breaking point and it's so far in the future, those extra four minutes to hang on, that it might as well be $5 million. You can't do it. But if they gave you $10 for every 10 seconds you kept going, people made it extra seconds for those
0: extra dollars. Where are you reading these studies, Bracken? I got to look into this. I'm just, I'm on the dark web. I'm everywhere. You are. You go incognito and just peruse. Yes. But think uh. about the concept
1: of that. When it's this big, impossible goal, it doesn't matter how how much of a reward is waiting for you. It's not attainable because it's not even relatable. But when it's broken into minute, little instant gratification rewards, you do better. And you can do things that you weren't able to do when something seemed un tenable and so that's the way we have to move we have to move in a way that all right that one notch forward absolutely i can do that Mm -hmm. can i get beat can i beat ryan atkins tomorrow no can i be within two minutes of him at the finish okay that's a realistic goal what if he fails an obstacle now i'm only 30 seconds down Mm -hmm. well at that point could i eat 30 seconds more out of the course probably okay figure it out i can beat ryan atkins And suddenly you're at that mindset level of, I don't have to be better than him on paper. I now suddenly realize I can beat him. And now I'm racing as if I'm going to, rather than racing Mm -hmm. as if he's already won. And that's a really watered down example. But those are the mindsets where you chip away at what's impossible until you've suddenly convinced yourself that it is possible. And then you're set up to do it.
0: That's exactly how it goes. That's not watered down at all. I feel like that is specifically how you would beat the next category of racers in front of you in a a way such as that and the next time your shoulders right next to him regardless as to him failing an obstacle and doing 30 burpees because now that's where you belong um i am a you know i've said this before on the podcast and i think you outlined something really nice that is worth talking about is that you know people get caught up in the big daunting like task of a goal, whether it is like, I'm going to run a marathon, or I'm going to bench 300 pounds, and I've never come close. And that snubs their ambition, it makes it seem impossible. But really, any big goal is an accumulation of small little goals met along the way. And suddenly, chipping away at it, like you mentioned, that extra 10 seconds for $10, mm-hmm. doing that every that day with every little thing, practicing those things is what ultimately ends, ends up getting you into those breakthrough situations. And I think we should talk about, and I'm sure you have some go-to thoughts on this, but what exactly do you work on? Okay. Cause this is really a big mental component. Um, do you have initial thoughts on that? I do. And I want to start with a brief story. Okay. I like stories. You do.
1: This is my own life. And I've told a version of this before, but I want to retell it for anyone who's never heard it. When I was in high school, I trained for the first time in an off season my senior year coming into indoor track. And we have indoor and outdoor track in Wisconsin. And all indoor season, I was trying to run 440 in a mile. I'd run 448 twice. I ran 445 once. And at the conference indoor meet, I ran 441. And I'd have these rubber bands on my hands in class. And I'd sit there and I'd write out my splits over and over that I'd want to hit. It'd be like, all right, I'm going to go out in 71 or I'm going to go out in 69 and I'm going to come back in 71. And the third, I'll allow myself to slow to a 73 second quarter. I'm going to bring it back in 70, and 69 at the end. And that's going to add up to this.
0: have about like 443.
1: Yeah. And then so third period, I'd be like, all right, what if I went out in 68 and then came back in 71 and then only slowed to a 72. And you know, I was constantly... Constantly analyzing how I was going to bring those seconds down, but I became trapped by those seconds mm-hmm. The more I lived in the, and I wrote all over my notebooks all over my wrists, you know I'd write it mm-hmm. on the back of my hand. I'd I doodle during class and the more I thought about the numbers The less I started thinking about the crazy numbers and the more I just got confined by I'm somewhere between 68 and 73 for every lap. That's where I sit and This is the part I've told before We got to our first outdoor meet and it was a relay meet and we were running the distance medley and i was finishing up by running the mile Mm -hmm. and this other team had a stud miler and they had a couple b level guys and it was really cold outside and it was windy and the rumor was the stud had a hamstring issue so he wasn't going to run the mile they subbed in their second best guy and it kind of bummed me out and we didn't have much time to warm up and i didn't take it too seriously and i got the handoff and went right on his shoulder i thought you know what it's cold it's windy the stud's not here i don't get to test myself i'm just going to run on this guy's shoulder and i'm going to outkick him the last 100 meters and we're going to win the relay and it's a great start to the offseason i'll start with a positive result rather than going after a time during the second lap i thought man this is racing this style hurts a little more than i thought it would I think I'm just not mentally in it because my legs are heavier than they should be. This guy's like a 445 miler. I'm a 441 miler. I'm fine. Third lap. It's like, man, I'm really having to dig here. I kind of want to let him go, but that would be so embarrassing to lose to this B-level miler. During the fourth lap, the bell rang and I was like, well, this is where I would go, but I'm hurting so bad. I'm going to wait until 300 to go. And then we got to 300. It's like, ah, I know this is weak. I'm just going to wait till 200 to go. You were hanging on. Just hanging on. 200 meters to go, I thought, I'll wait till the last turn. We got to the last turn, I took off, I outsprinted sprinted him, and I ran 428. Turned out- It was the stud. It was the stud, and my coach had lied to me. <laughs> but the first oh, mile man. that entire year, I didn't listen to a single split that had been given out during that race, and I expected to win. In fact, I expected to dog it and win. And so that feeling of, this is tougher than I thought, was the feeling of running four seconds faster that first lap than I'd ever run in my life.
0: That's amazing. I went from
1: 441 to 428 in one race, and I never ran slower than 431 the rest of that entire year. I think I ran seven more miles that year, and I broke 430 in six of them. That's incredible. I didn't change physically. I didn't change speed-wise. In fact, I was running in worse conditions. I just changed mentally what i expected out of myself and so that is a long way of saying the first thing we need to change is our thought patterns that we are confined to without even realizing it i was confined to thinking i need to be between 68 and 73 per lap because that is what i know i need to go out and without blowing up i never even considered what if i just ran 65 seconds the first lap and then ran 66 and 67 and 67 could I run in the four twenties? That was so outlandish, I didn't even consider it. And so we have to go back through all of our goals, all of our fitness, and say, what have I been doing over and over
0: without really expecting more out of myself? Did your coach know that was your tendency? Did your coach? I mean, that's brilliant coaching. I want to pat him on the back. Yeah. Did he know? Did he know where your head was at? That you were yeah. stepping that pattern? He knew very little about running.
1: This coach. We had two coaches. We had the head coach and then we had this young guy fresh out of college who he was starting to allow to run our workouts. The head coach knew very little about running, but he was a relational coach.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: knew us. We'd come hang out in his room during our, during our study halls. He like, we, we spent time with this guy and he had to have known I was turning into a bit of a head case, a successful head case, but a head case. And he decided to take a leap of faith and lie to me and it worked. That's brilliant. And that,
0: that was your senior year? My senior year.
1: That's fantastic. And without that race, I do not get a scholarship offer because yeah. without that race, I come out and I would have tried to run 440 and then I would have tried to chip my way down into the 430s and be a happy camper. Instead, I ended up running in the mid 420s and was just quick enough to get a, a bad scholarship offer, which I'm not sitting here today without that path I took through life. So... It's a small little white lie changed my mindset, which changed my entire trajectory in life. So we need to identify what mindsets and little boxes have we placed upon our own expectations and then readjust them, even if it means readjusting them to something slightly crazy at first.
0: Kind of a similar story to that, actually, my senior year of high school as well, I um... We had the old 133 meter indoor track. Did you ever run on 133? No, we track? ran on
1: 160
0: yard indoor track. Oh boy, 133 indoor track, guys. I believe that comes out. I think we ran 14 laps to the mile or something. 12, <laughs> and it was ridiculous. So I'd run one indoor mile, and I ran 4:47 my senior year, which okay. was slow. Okay, I you're basically running turns the entire time. I had won that race. We go to the first big invite of the year. I had not really broken through in the mile. I'd run 438 before. And because of that 133 track, I got put in the slow heat of the invitational mile. So I expected to win. I said, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to win this thing. Well, I never would have fathomed winning the whole race, the fast heat or the slow heat, so to speak. Um, But I said it was my race to win because I got stuck with guys I shouldn't have been stuck with. And so I ran out front, took it, ran it. I ran 431 and I beat everybody in the fast heat as well and took the overall win out of the slow heat, completely unconfined by predisposition, what I had run earlier, and um, not quite as miraculous as the story of yours, but 16 seconds 16 is seconds. a lot solo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm behind on this book. It's called How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald, and we talk about it. I have a couple of my clients reading it, I have now begun, but not um, combed through it all. Do you believe that read would be important for people? Yes. In regards to this? Yeah, That and
1: Endure by, I think, Malcolm Gladwell.
0: Have you read How Bad Do You Want It from Cover to Cover? I've
1: read Cover to Cover, and this year I listened to it on audiobook during my bike sessions. And you I believe fell in that? love with it all over again.
0: Do you believe the topic that we're talking about, that book or Endure, would be helpful?
1: I would read them both or listen to them both. And it is the kind of book that I rebelled against the first three chapters, and then it won me over. And by the end, I was thinking, I'm an idiot for wanting to rebel against the first three chapters. Why would I want to not believe that my mind gives me power over my body?
0: Yeah. If you haven't accepted that fact, you have a long ways to go with your athletic performance. That's for damn sure. Yes your mind does control your body that's how this works and it controls almost every facet of your performance on a good day or a bad day do you ever see those guys who race the non-excuse makers who go out and i mean ryan atkins again or a number of others who felt like absolute death out there it wasn't their day but instead of winning they take third what happens to you when it's not your day do you even finish do you fall 10 20 places back when it's not your day Because physiologically, things can go wrong. You don't get sleep, you're sick, something happens in your training or you're injured, yet you go, you show up, and you stay committed. And there's those guys who do it no matter how they're feeling. You think that the best in our sport, or do you think Elliot Kipchoge goes out and feels great every day and he's just got something miraculously figured out that the rest of us don't? The answer is no. Everybody has ups and downs with how their body shows up on race day. But yet even guys who show up on race day not feeling well, still win even when it's not their day that's where you really start to figure out who's got the between the ears figured out i feel like i want to read you elude's quote From? after the race okay i want to hear his quote absolutely i'm really disappointed and i'm gonna i'm
1: gonna cut out parts of it for brevity but i'm really disappointed but this is sport it's not the end of the world that i can't win it's not suicide for me to be beaten this is sport we need to embrace ourselves those who are focusing on the winners are always losers. But those who are focusing on winning are always a winner. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly it. He's focusing on winning. Whatever winning means to him. He's not focusing on
0: the winner of the race. He's focusing on winning. Wouldn't you love to know if, if he had to give you his unfiltered race excuse, what do you think it would be?
1: He gave them. People asked him all his excuses. And he said, I don't really give any of those the weather, we all dealt with it. My training was actually good. I'm healthy, I was confident. He said he had an ear blockage. I don't know what that means. But during the race, he said, I had tons of ear pressure, ear blockage, and I ended up cramping all down that side. And when the pace shifts happened, I couldn't go with. He said, that's about the only excuse I can give you. Training, mental, weather, we all dealt with it. I can't blame any of that.
0: Mm -hmm. I like that.
1: So anyways, this is the greatest winner in the history. And he said, you can't focus on being the winner. You have to focus on winning your race.
0: Mm-hmm. You can't focus
1: on the winner. You have to focus on winning the race. Yes. And, and whatever your race is for him, that might be hitting a split or running with passion.
0: Mm-hmm. It doesn't
1: mean you have to focus on being the winner. Mm-hmm. So in this, another great example is people in the weight room. Who can't do a pull up or a chin up or a muscle up or a press to a handstand there are so many people out there with the flexibility and the strength components needed to do those moves but until you do one muscle up until you press to a handstand one time you don't have the pathways established you don't have the muscle memory to do it as soon as you complete one you realize i've been trying way too hard at that all i had to do was change my technique slightly but until you've done one, you can't feel what it takes to do it. And just like that, in sport, there are so many people with enough talent and fitness and toughness to accomplish whatever their stretch goal is. They just haven't done it yet. As soon as it's done, that pathway is complete and you don't have to step back. But half of that pathway is truly believing that pathway exists. Because with a muscle up, you have to feel it first. With a yeah. PR goal, mentally, you have to feel it first. There's a difference between a dream and a goal. We can all sit there and daydream all we want, but a goal is something you're actively working towards and you believe you're about
0: to get. And that's the difference, crossing from dream to goal. The muscle-up's are really good, actually, um, analogy for that because I brought a lot of people through the muscle-ups in the gym. And you don't just get one when you get your first one. You go from zero to like six. Yeah. But there's nothing in between because you opened up that pathway, understanding how it feels, and suddenly that's it. You don't just do one muscle-up once you get your first one. And it's just interesting because then it just opens a whole new floodgate for possibility. Um, I think we should give the people, and this is kind of your brainchild, your baby, and you're nailing this, Bracken, by the way. i got to be honest. jacking me up over here. I'm going to have to pop my, my jacket off here. You're right. You're working up a sweat. Take that thing off. Got a lather going. Let's talk about, you know all this is great in theory. Mm -hmm. It's great theory. What do we do on a day-to-day basis to practice this? Ideally, you know, at times it comes out suddenly in a race, your breakthrough race. I bet most of you listening have had a breakthrough race or two in your career, still looking for your next, you know, jumps in levels. Um, And sometimes they just happen, but that's probably like an accumulation of other parts, right? Yes. So I think one thing you know, mental toughness, this mental grittiness. If it's not something that you practice, how are you going to display it when the time comes in a race, right? And I do think that a lot of us are very forgiving of ourselves during workouts. At times, that's okay. At times, it's not. But I feel like when push comes to shove, and it's time to get the real work done, a lot of times people choose to lay off the throttle just enough so that what they're experiencing is tolerable. And that's what your body reverts to when you go to race. What is tolerable, correct? And so I would say to start, and you know what? They can be epic fails. You can go and try this. It's a great time to work on your mental fortitude and keeping yourself uncomfortable um, because it doesn't really matter right now. You can epically go up in flames. And there's no repercussion because you don't have races coming up. Most you don't have anything, you know, on the calendar that it's going to impact. So I think the first step is making those decisions. And those are decisions when the time gets tough to not allow it to win and it doesn't have to be in big doses. It can be in small doses. It could be running 400 meter repeats and choosing to run four twenties and extending that feeling another 20 yards further. Simple as that. It could be, A number of different things but i feel like if i were to look at that and i consciously know i've caved on some workouts in the past and then i get to that breaking point in a race and i follow suit with my training is so that would be one thing i would start considering working on in your training how does that look you're gonna have to decide but you know what your strengths and weaknesses are you can work on them
1: we've had past episodes we've talked about our specific mental toughness our grit days so go back Mm -hmm. and listen to those but one thing that our minds are masters of is comparisons. Yep. We judge what we're going through based off what we've experienced prior. That's all we have. Heartbreak is only as bad as your previous worst heartbreak. Injury pain is only as bad as whatever pain you have experienced before. If you've experienced something worse, it's not as bad the second time. Mm-hmm. If you have burnt your hand really badly, a minor burn doesn't worry you. If you shattered your leg, a fracture doesn't feel as bad. And the same thing goes for mental toughness in races. If you have shattered yourself in a workout, if you have held your hand to an obnoxiously hot flame, a race flame doesn't scare you as much. It still hurts. But when you've been farther, you can take a reduced version of that for longer than you could have if you've never been farther. So it's finding mm-hmm. sometimes
0: in training to intentionally hurt at an obnoxious level. Mm hmm. That's why I like the Hobie tempo so much. Yeah, the Hobie tempo. Yeah, go back and listen to our uh, episode. We have some number of episodes we refer to the Hobie tempo, but I like it for that exact reason. Um, and so I think the other thing that we should touch on just a little more in depth is when you when you just mentioned all we have to compare to is our own comparison what we've already, where we've already been is all we know, right? We don't mm-hmm. know where we haven't been or how we haven't, you know, we haven't performed this way yet, so how would we know? <sighs> so getting out of your own mind trap, getting out of your own way, you know. Some people I like to use this term stay in your own lane. That could work both ways here because really we're trying to get out of our own lane, but we're also trying to ignore the others by staying in it. How does one mentally block out what others are doing because you should, you all, we all have those people that we think about beating. Okay. For example, the guy who beat Eliud, what's his name again?
1: Oh, I can't pronounce it right now.
0: Shura Kitata. Sh- Shura Kitata. I know I put you that, but he's not listening. He thought about Eliud and beating him all year. So he was thinking about somebody else. In fact, he was approaching it different than Eliud said in his post race interview, in a way, correct? I nice. assume this Tatata. It generally has to happen when you're the young upstart. Correct. So how do you get out of your own way? How do you how do you break through barriers that you don't know exist? Where do you start? Do you have thoughts on that?
1: I do. And this is what I wanted to close with. So I'm glad you brought it up. Okay. This is something I feel very strongly and uncertain about at the same time. Because we preach on here, doing everything for a reason based off your time trials and based off your performances and based off your tests. We don't want people overextending and doing things they're not ready for. However, there is an inherent flaw built into that line of reasoning, which we have never discussed on this podcast. Okay, And the flaw of that reasoning is that if your test is flawed, everything you do based off of that is inaccurate. And if the test is flawed based on your mindset, you cannot run the correct pace. So if you go out and do a one-mile time trial or a 5K time trial or a 30-minute a threshold test, but you are not being as tough as you are capable of being, you do not hit the pace that you should hit, which in turn doesn't predict your pace for, for training that you should hit. And so in this off-season, a challenge I would make to people is that if they believe they might qualify under that, to take your current interval paces and throw them away. You can even get rid of the watch. Get rid of any expectation. Get rid of the watch. Or you could say, I am a 20-minute 5K runner, and I have been for four years. Tomorrow morning, I am an 1859 5K runner. I'm a 19-flat 5K runner, and now I'm basing all my intervals off of that and see Mm -hmm. what happens for a block of training. If you suddenly just say, I'm not basing it off the performances I've always had. For this time, I'm going to break from the rules, and I'm going to base them off of the performances that I should be expecting of myself. Run your interval work at that new pace it's going to be significantly faster but a good percentage of people will find that they can do it Mm -hmm. now you cannot change your recovery because if you change your recoveries you are now compromising the workout now you're just running at mile pace with mile recoveries but doing a 5k workout you have to do the 5k workout with the same scripted shorter recovery but you have to force yourself to hit that pace and if after several weeks It has not become apparent that you've made a terrible drastic mistake. You're going to be faster and you might just run that 19 flat 5k now. You might have to re-engineer your next block of training and reverse engineer it. Rather than I test, I hit this pace, I can now run this pace. You're going to say at the end of this, I'm going to test and hit this pace. And I'm going to run that final pace from the start. Force yourself
0: into it. Yep. Because some people need it. I agree. And... Bracken's making this sound real nice and dreamy in philosophy. Will there be some crash and burns in there? Yep. Will there be some humbling days? Yep. But that's okay. That's part of the process. You're not going to dreamily step into your, you know, breakthrough goal pace and suddenly like you just nail it your first workout so don't expect perfection and we came off of uh, an episode recently which was like off-season and base building and what to do and how to do it and where we should sit with our heart rate zones and how we should spend time bracken and myself both agree that giving yourself permission to just kind of take the governor off one day is allowed in base phase or off-season training a day you're feeling good or forget about the rev limiter if you want to go and pound like fine, go ahead. Give yourself that day. You're not going to do yourself any harm. In fact, you made good. And this time, maybe like, if you want to look at it a different way, giving yourself a mental toughness day where you where you know that like, I don't think I can sustain eight minute pace for an eight mile run. Like, I don't even know if I could race it. Yet your ass starts off in seven thirty, and you just go do it. And 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 you'll fail probably. But you're going to know what that feels like. You're going to know what that pace feels like. So those mental fortitude days are really good to throw into your plan right now. Those those like throw things at the dartboard and see what sticks ideas that don't need rhyme or reason. Like now is the time to do things like Bracken mentioned. Ridiculous pacing that you've never hit. Go out and just grind out a long run that you've never run that pace for, for no absolute reason. Right now is like the perfect time. Would I recommend that when we're prescribed periodized training and races are getting closer? Probably not. Right now, yep. yep. Yeah. So I like that. And this is the beauty of polarized training is that it's a built-in
1: safety system. If only 20% of your work is hard and you go too hard on those days, if you're truly going easy on your other days and you keep your threshold work according to heart rate and you just extend for starters on your interval days, you cannot hurt yourself. You can have some extra fatigue. But because it's polarized, you compensate by going easier on your easy days. You get through that block just fine. And now maybe you realize that pace was better. I'm going to start tweaking my threshold days. I'm going to give myself a little bit more heart rate leeway going upwards. But you're still so polarized that it's really hard to damage yourself if you hold true to the principles of easy days easy. So it gives you permission to be A bit aggressive on hard days and this is where the difference between coaching and training comes into play you've got to learn how to coach yourself as well as to train yourself anyone can write a training plan it's changing the application of it to fit your needs if you can identify that this is your need as an athlete you have to be able to modify your plan to coach yourself into health while nailing that new application if you are overextending for six weeks it's going to be an overextension at first you have to underextend somewhere else
0: i'm glad you brought that up too because um overexerting yourself or appropriately overreaching with a training run requires that you need to then do the polar opposite of that which would be like under reach so to speak on a recovery day following just make sure those principles are in place i agree good reminder there I want to revert back to something that came up in the Mark Bottas interview that we did a little while back. Um, And this is something I want you to be cognizant of as well. I have to be conscious of this myself. Um, And Mark Bottas outlined in our interview where his coach was asking him about the marathon and why he fell out of love with marathoning and ultimately came to OCR. And he had said that you know, all the words that he listed out when it came to the marathon were negative. It's hard. It's exhausting. I'm fatigued. It's time consuming. It's, you know, and he, and he noticed he had these really negative mental notes that went along with racing and training. And ultimately he was, you know, his drop ceiling was stuck pretty damn low because of just the word association, which was now in his psyche when it comes to the marathon. And he moved on something that was better suited. And I think a lot of us fall into that trap when it's 5K time trial day or it's interval dre- day and there is a dread to what's coming up. And I must admit that to this day, something about this suffer still excites me. Like I know today is going to blow because it is OCR mile repeats and I know what that workout feels like. But there's a twinge of adrenaline on my drive to the trailhead. There's a twinge of excitement for some reason still before it gets going. And there's more positive association to what's happening than negative. And I can tell you from conversations with athletes of mine I'm coaching, with friends, with other athletes, there is a lot of dread and negative connotation with some of the like negative mental words going on that you may be conscious of or may not before hard efforts, before racing in particular. Mm-hmm. I mean, a little dread is normal because you know you're about to put yourself through something uncomfortable, but it goes a lot deeper for that than that for a lot of people. And I think you really got to pay attention to what that underlying like psyche is telling you before these workouts, in the middle of these workouts, before races, pay more attention to that. You're going to be surprised what some of the things are coming through your mind without even being, you're driving to the grocery store and you have a race coming up and your mind starts wandering and you start to think about what's coming up. And those little those little thoughts, positive or negative, are creeping in. And so that's something I have to keep in check. I don't know if you do, Bracken. For sure. Mark Bottres obviously had an issue with a certain race, and he found something else which is much more healthy for him. So keep that in mind. I just know – I know when I put time trials on people's schedules in particular, and I bet you get the same thing. I get a lot of blowback dread sometimes from certain people like, ugh, like time trial week. I don't want to. I feel like I'm not ready or I don't. And all those I'm not, I don't. It crushes you. It does. You might as well not even do it. Correct. So work on that. Work on just being more positive and you'd be shocked with what happens. Yeah. Oftentimes
1: in the racing world, the greatest upgrade a car can get is the driver. You swap in a new driver and he unlocks the capabilities of the car. So Mm. this whole episode should drive you to upgrade your driver, your pilot. Mm. And that starts by find an inspiring book or podcast and listen to it or ebook. Find something that like endure or how bad you want it. Listen to it and treat it like a college course. Take your notes for along the way. Things that jump out at you, you every time you think, oh, that's me. That is me. You write that down and you drill it until it's gone. You have to upgrade the pilot. We're always going to try upgrading the aircraft or the car, but you need to upgrade the person who's driving it in order to unlock the potential. It is useless to build all this capacity if you do not provide someone that can handle it appropriately.
0: Mm-hmm. You put Mario Andretti into a Prius, and he may just burn some rubber up in that thing right back in.
1: Yeah, and you put me in his car, and I can't handle it. Exactly. So upgrade yourself in terms of how you handle your vehicle. And it has to, has to start between the ears.
0: I got nothing else to add to that bracket. Thanks for listening, folks.